Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be another trope dissection. Today, we will be dissecting the trope of prodigies. Namely, in sports and art anime. We grouped sports and art anime together because they tend to follow very similar formats in regards to stories as well as characters. And most specifically, the character that we want to focus on today is the prodigy in sports and art anime, which are usually the protagonist, the diamond in the rough with a secret skill that no one really knows or uses. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty self-explanatory topic. I think anyone who even has the slightest idea of a sports anime will probably know or understand that particular trope and how common it is. And we're going to just dissect on the good and the bad of the trope and when it has been utilized well and when it hasn't been utilized well. So I believe this week we are starting with you, Agnes. And so I'm going to go off and first ask you a question one, how do you feel about this trope overall? And then two, give us your examples of when it's utilized in a good or a bad way. For sure, yeah. So this is typically not my favorite trope. I don't usually like to believe in characters that have a special skill set from the get-go and that's what awes people. And then in a similar vein, the anime character has a very prestigious family bloodline that gives them, you know, said powers or explains their innate ability to do xyz and so that always kind of puts me off because i'm just kind of like that's just kind of cheap you know <laughs> that, 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 just, that doesn't really explain anything for character growth it doesn't really aid to the character and the story overall they're just kind of op at the very beginning um and the first one that i wanted to mention for this that kind of exemplifies the whole prodigy for the sport type of animes would be Prince of Tennis. And I would say that this is considered a, in my book, I would consider it a bad example because I don't like the trope and therefore it's more something that kind of irritates me to see it in something like Prince of Tennis. Uh, I'm pretty sure Isabel has seen Prince of Tennis. Have you seen Prince of Tennis, Gracie? I watched it a long time ago and I remember not really understanding what's going on because I didn't understand tennis very well and at the time my English wasn't good enough where I could like keep along with the subs easily so I mainly used it to choose guys to crush on since I was that's a fair so that yeah fair. <laughs> it is a shoujo manga to start with or at least it was advertised in a shoujo magazine so it did cater to a large female audience base than a shonen manga mm-hmm uh, what about you, Isabel? Um, what did you think about like the whole uh, Prince of Tennis using a prodigy sort with Grioma as the main protagonist? Yeah, he just really carries the series overall. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah to me, he is basically plot armor. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely watched it a long time ago as well. So, and I think I'm pretty. I did. I don't think I actually finished the series. Most recently, I, know, yeah. I, I watched that film um, at Anime Expo. That was the most recent Prince of Tennis exposure I've had. But I feel like that was just kind of like a side story and Realma uh, just like carrying uh, throughout and uh, just doing what he does at tennis, really. So. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, the it's such a long, long franchise with such a long history of fans <laughs> and 
animation films and TV series overall and a lot of manga spin-offs as well. Um, and for the audience who may or not have been old enough to watch Prince of Tennis back in the day, it features a young prodigy tennis player who moved back from the U.S. Apparently, he was raised in the U.S. He's full Japanese, but raised in the U.S., went to a U.S. education system and learned how to play tennis there and hone his skill. And when he comes back to Japan, he is 12 years old. He is in middle school, and apparently he has four consecutive titles in the American Junior Tennis Tournaments prior to coming to Japan. And you're thinking to yourself, like, 12 years old, like, what the heck? Like, you know, you look at other animations uh, series in the season, and typically a lot of these sport prodigies happen when they're around, like, 15 or 16, which kind of makes a bit more sense because men and females are usually a lot more uh, developed in terms of physically, like, they're more developed physically-wise, so they're able to push themselves to the fullest capacity, but Ryoma is, like, 12 years old. Like, that is very pubescent baby to me. And that was very hard to believe as an adult that, you know, Roma is this skilled at 12 years old as compared to other sport players of his time. So like Federer, Federer, for instance, is in his 40s and he recently retired from the tennis championships. He's no longer playing tennis. And there are lots of other people who are starting to approach that limit, such as like Serena Williams and stuff like that, too. And then you have Roma here who's 12. He's like, I'm going to be part of like, you know, the uh, the world championships and I'm going to beat everybody at the age of 12. So it's kind of like not very believable at that time. But when I was younger, I definitely fed into that whole myth of the sports prodigy. Around like when did you start to, I guess, turn away from it? Since it's since you said that in your youth, you seem to uh, turn towards it. I think it was right around high school that I started to kind of turn away from it because that's when Is I it was when active. you started playing uh, volleyball and you realized it wasn't that easy or am I just uh, extrapolating? <laughs> <now>? <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. That's, there's definitely that weird haiku story that I have as an anecdote that contributes to that whole like rose, sh- rose lens just shattering when you realize that you're not that gifted in sports. But I had already been doing ballet when I was growing up, uh, which is a very physically taxing sport as well. And over the years after finishing, you know, middle school and going to high school and seeing more and more people who are athletes and not like, quote unquote, special, I thought to myself, like, then there's really is no real definition of somebody special like Ryoma as like a prodigy sort of thing. There are very few that exist, but even then they don't really integrate well into society anyway. So at that point, my the I began shifting more into like realism type sports and watching anime type sports like Run With The Wind and stuff like that as, compo- as of compared to my younger years where I watched Prince of Tennis. I do have a quick question is, uh, you know, Isabel, you mentioned that it's basically plot armor. Like one of the characters is just plot armor. Doesn't it get boring in that case because you know they're going to be fine (laughs) no because it's in the sense that tennis is still semi-sport ish like sport competitive uh team competitive because you don't you have singles and doubles right right yeah but Mm -hmm. you still participate overall as a team so he still needs to carry the team in terms of points if his other teammates don't follow up in their matches anyway so there is a bit of an anticipate like a a spark of anticipation or urgency when you see some of the greater characters in his team, let's say like Falter, for instance, so then Roma kind of has to be the card that steps up to like take care of it. And then and then other times it will be other character arcs that do very well and that they're able to pull it off even without Roma's help to contribute to those points. 
I see. Got yeah. it. Yeah, and then overall throughout the lively livelihood of Prince of Tennis, there are multiple Japanese like champions and title holders that Ryoma does have to face eventually, kind of like the final boss of that season. And so that's where it does also get a bit competitive and that he is not just completely covered in plot armor. But for the early days of Prince of Tennis, yes, he was completely plot armor. <laughs> okay, okay, that makes sense now. Yeah. His teammates definitely make up for it. Like when you learn more about his teammates and what they do and, you know, how they're kind of jealous of him, obviously, but they mm-hmm. have, they learn their own move and things like that. So that's kind of what kept me curious about them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the move sets, mm-hmm. huh? It's kind yeah. of like how we watch a Shonen, power, a Shonen series and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, what new power will this character develop? It's the same thing in Prince of Tennis. Yeah, exactly. Like, what, do, what does this character do? Or even his opponents, like, what secret move do, do they have? So you're always <laughs> kept guessing about that. Um, and Roman also works hard for at least. Um, he, he's not, I guess, like, later on in the series, he's not that type of person who literally doesn't grow in a sense. So he does grow. So yeah, that's yeah. one of the things as well, at least for but me. But it's mm-hmm. like 50 plus episodes after the fact, though. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a long series. So long, yeah. Okay, so I guess in this case, since you've let us know now that you're not the biggest fan of this trope, and and even if you had liked it in the past, you don't really feel as much towards it now, what is an example of the trope being utilized in a positive way in that case? I think the one series that is sports related, because I didn't really watch a lot of anime series that was focused on art, but a sports anime that did really well in its sort of portrayal of the prodigy is actually Yuri on Ice in the way that it is two separate routes. So Yuri on Ice, you have the prodigy uh, Yuri Polensky, who is a Russian ice skater. He is 15. He is the so-called prodigy. I I was about to ask which Yuri because I was like, (laughs) Yuri Polensky is the prodigy. But then you have his foil, who is Yuri Katsuki, who is essentially, at this point in his life career, a washed-up middle-aged man who failed at the Grand Prix final. Which, in reality, Yuri Katsuki is not, you know, wrinkly, crummy, and aged. He's 23 years old. He's still, like, ripe in his prime. But that's the really cool, I think, like, split that they had for the two protagonists to show a an ice skater who is at his prime in his youth, could be considered a prodigy, but maybe like seven years down the line when they're like 22, 23, 24, they start to reach that point where they can't be as flexible. They can't be as athletic. They can't be as strong to keep going through the sport. And it kind of shows like a very realistic depiction of how an athlete's life actually is as they grow older and mature. And so by having these two characters kind of like juxtapose each other, it kind of lessens the blow of the whole so-called prodigy and allow the two of them to kind of form their own independent paths into ice skating and become who they are. So Yuri Polensky, obviously at the end of Yuri on Ice, wins the Grand Prix. He is now crowned the world champion. But Yuri Katsuki comes very close in second and through his own way of hard work, even though he is not the prodigy. So in a way, I thought that was like a really cool narrative way to tell the story of a prodigy without making them too OP or too covered in plot armor. I see. I, I kind of like that you pointed out about the age thing because, yeah, Yuri, uh, main character Yuri, um, I guess they're both main characters. Or you can say way, like but... Japanese Yuri versus like Russian Yuri, right? That should be pretty Right, yeah. So Japanese Yuri, like, you know, he's not old in the sense of humans, you know, in, in fact, at all. He's actually quite young, but 
we we can't forget that ice skating does have an age limit and it's pretty brutal that age limit for yep. them because because like you said that flexibility you really just lose it as you get older and so that always makes it difficult though I will say as someone who watched a lot of ice skatings actually ironically after Yuri on Ice even though I wasn't big on Yuri on Ice as an anime I did ultimately enjoy like the sport because there's like an artistic element to it that I really enjoy but men do have a, a nicer, wider range of age in which they can still compete compared to mm-hmm. women. It's yep. very brutal for women. So and that's why there was the whole stint, I think, in the last Winter Olympics about how the Russians were starting to dope their female, yeah, uh, yeah, their female, uh, their female athletes, their female ice skaters, just so that they could perform a little bit better on the ice, even though they're like twelve and thirteen years old, which is like absolutely crazy, but also very grimly realistic of what actually happens in the sports world where there are lots of athletes who may or may not fall into the pitfall of taking drugs to enhance their physical ability. I think, didn't the show also show sort of how the impact could be on uh, Russian Yuri because of his youth as well? You know, like, isn't that... Um, wasn't that something that the show also showed? And like, that's a good thing to note because even if he is a prodigy, he is just so very young. <laughs> yes, they did show, it shows more so in the personality of Yuri, who's very explosive, very impulsive, mm-hmm, very yeah. like raw, raw rebel kind of thing. And then by the end of the series, he sort of mellows out. He reconnects with his grandfather who shared his passion for ice skating and encouraged him to go ice skate. And in a way he becomes, he matures a lot more as a teenager and becoming a young adult rather than being kind of flung into that stardom and just hurling straight first into it until he burns out in the end. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's a good point. I never thought of it that way, but it is a good comparison. And once again, the age remark is a very important one, I think, in regards to context specifically for this state, uh, state for this sport compared to all the other ones. What did you think of that uh, prodigal usage and that sort of compare and contrast in Yuri on Ice, Isabella? I thought it was great as well, especially in terms of the age comment. Because, uh, you know, when you really think about figure skating and Olympics in, gen- in general, right, it's, it's every four years or so. So, you know, the athletes are only going to get older. Um mm-hmm. And so just having that comparison between the two, like, oh, yeah, and then having that competition as well. And then knowing that, like, I believe Japanese Yuri just having, he was focused, I believe, more on himself. And that kind of shows his maturity compared to younger Yuri, who's kind of like looking out for his other competitors and how they're doing. Right. How mm, he can beat them. That's right? a good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're and Japanese Yuri's no slouch either, because he managed to get to the Grand Prix final at twenty three years old. But yeah, he definitely has that different outlook of being like a little bit more anxious, a little mm-hmm. bit more fretting, kind of worried about the future as compared to Russian Yuri who's just like balls of the walls, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way to describe him, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, Russian Yuri has another chance, you know, in four, like four years, he like, yeah, he he has another chance. But in many ways, uh, Japanese Yuri, this might also be his last chance. So it's a little more nail biting in this case. It it really sucks that they have an age, uh, they have an age limit in regards to these sort of competitive sports. But Mm -hmm. it is what it is. You know, our bodies are 
going to change as they're older, whether we like it or not. So, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, it's one of those professions where athleticism is the most important thing, and it's very easy to find yourself like dropping out of it and then never pursuing that same career path again as compared to a lot of more traditional careers where you can stay in it as long as you like doesn't matter how old you get mm-hmm. you know and then that way you know you become like more stable or otherwise but like for these athletes like it's a very fine line that they teeter on oh i do have another question because it made me think of it is victor in many ways was considered a prodigy in his prime you know, and mm-hmm. obviously he isn't that anymore since he's not skating like uh, competitively that way anymore. So how did you think about the usage of a pre uh, or a prior prodigy who in many ways still is but can't compete anymore? I think it's a very nice segue to have, even though there's a lot of homoerotic tensions that goes through Yuri and I, so we tend to sit there and we go, ha ha ha, at Victor. But... Victor, in a sense, is the more the like the the best evolution, the mega evolution of this whole prodigy process. <laughs> you start out as a child prodigy. You're very balls to the walls. You're very reckless and impulsive, and then you're at Japanese Yuri stage, who kind of starts to understand how more grim the world is like and be, is kind of grappling with how realistic it is. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Victor, who's reconciled with the fact that he is no longer limber, he's no longer lithe, he can't do ice skating anymore. But there are other ways that he can still contribute to the sport, regardless of the fact that he is no longer physically on the ice. It's very similar to the parallels of Haikyuu, for instance, too, at the very uh, last chapter yeah. of Haikyuu, where many of the characters, although a vast majority of them continue their career as pro volleyball players. Many of them actually go into more normal jobs and or jobs that are very close to sports. So for instance, Tanaka, for instance, is a, is a manager at a very well-known sports department store in Japan. That's his way of keeping close to the sport. And then you have uh, Iwa, uh, Iwaizumi, who becomes a physical therapist for the Japanese national team. And fun fact, he actually went to my university. So it's very interesting to... Oh, hear. Yeah, fun, he went to UCI. Yeah. So I've, I've always had the idea of like, well, it would be kind of cool if I like wrote a fanfic where I drew some art where it's like Iwaizumi taking like snapshots, like snapshots of like, UCI. That'd be cute, yeah. I actually know all these locations at UCI. I was there for four years. So this is a very fun memory for me. But yeah, so that's kind of like the... That's why I really liked Victor being there, I guess, not just for, you know, the romantic storyline, of course, but he is there as like a reminder that, you know, we are approaching the end of our athletic career, but the options are still open for you. You're still young. You can still do other things, even if it's not sports related or you're not directly competing on the ice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Alrighty then. So did you have anything else you want to highlight or are you ready to pass the baton? I am ready to pass the baton. Alrighty, so that lands on me. So this is an interesting topic because I mentioned before that I don't naturally click with sports anime. And funnily enough, one of the reasons why I don't click with sports anime actually has to do with this trope. I also don't really like this trope. (laughs) I think it is unrealistic in a way that I, or not detrimental per se, but it's just unrealistic to me because no matter how much talent you have, and believe me, I do sincerely believe certain people have natural talent for these things simply because everyone is born with a tendency or a talent to be easier and better at certain things compared to others. Like, you know, in an obvious example, some people are just more talented at math than um, writing and vice versa. Like, that's 
one of the most classic sort of examples that that exists. And so, but I think it was also unrealistic on the fact that simply because you have talent that guarantees success. No, um, if you have talent, you still have to work your butt off to sharpen that talent in order to make it work. You don't just have it and you succeed. And so I think that was one of the biggest reasons as to why I didn't like this trope and uh, and also why I struggle so much with sports anime. So one such anime that did have that, that I really just, it was just a uh, slog to go through. I actually, this is one of the few anime that I dropped because as you guys know, I don't usually drop anime, but I just couldn't stand it after a certain amount of times, but it is Kuroko no, uh, Kuroko's Basket. And I just, the thing is, I almost feel like everyone in that show has like a superpower in their own way and how they're all kind of like unbeatable and stuff like that. So it's basically just Superman versus Superman constantly, but with like different Superman powers and stuff. And it just got to a point where I I really was just like, what's the point? It, it just it just bored me beyond belief. And I would rather go to the slice of life moments than I did care about any of the training or the sports games and stuff like that. And particularly what's interesting is that I actually decided to watch that anime because basketball is one of the sports I genuinely enjoy watching. As many of you guys have who have been listening for a long time have probably known that I've spoken about how I naturally don't really like sports in real life. That obviously also clashes with watching sports anime as a whole. But basketball is one of those games that I genuinely enjoyed and I've watched live because it's very electric. A lot of things are happening, you know, and it's a lot of action. And I really enjoy that for that matter. And so that's why I gave it a shot because I was like, you know what? I actually like basketball, but you can imagine my disappointment when it's like, you know, <laughs> all these people with like basically basketball superpower moves. And at one point they start announcing them and it's like Power Rangers, but like on the basketball court instead. And I just I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I ended up dropping it, which once again is a big deal because I rarely, if ever, dropped and drop anime in my entire life. So that is my pick for one that I just didn't like and I thought it did a really bad job on. I ironically don't have much to say about it because it mattered so little to me at the end and it annoyed me so much that it isn't even something that I can critique and explain as to how I can make it better. I just can't because I think it starts from the root in this regard. So that's my example of a trope utilized in a bad way. However, I know I'm in the minority because Obviously, Kuroko's uh, Basket is very, very popular and very successful. So I really want to hear your ladies' thoughts on this particular anime for that reason. You know, I really have that question, too. I always ha- ask that question of why people like Kuroko's uh, Kuroko so much, because I also dropped it this, um, like you did, Gracie. Oh, wow. I, okay. I dropped it in like pretty far into the series i would say like we i met all the characters i met pretty much all the teams like i knew of their powers so mm-hmm. up until that point i was interested but i think i think when it, it didn't click with me that they were prodigies it was more like oh they're in the zone and i was like oh i want to know what the zone is and then <laughs> i realized the zone equals superpowers and i like the way you put it power ranger powers uh uh yeah that was when i was like okay this is not what i expected out of the series it it kind of took a weird turn for me. And not only that, I like the other players as well, but 
the other players, like especially on Kuroko's team, because they have their own strengths and they felt very real to me as like actual high school players that could, you know, lead a team or be a support to a team. But then like seeing them and then seeing the other players, especially like Aomine, uh, and then just they just carry their team. It's like one person yeah. on each team. I think that's why it becomes less enjoyable for people like us, maybe. Yeah. I would really like to know why they why people do enjoy it as well. So that's still my question. Agnes, did you have an answer to that or are you just <laughs> We're all just searching? Uh, I, I, for might have an, I might have an answer. I might have an answer. Okay. I don't know if it's correct or not. But uh my working theory is that everybody wants to be the MC protagonist of a shonen series. And being is some looking up to somebody who is from like the generation of miracle so all of the funky hair colored men that are the that have the, all those superpowers as super as power rangers is something that people aspire to me and not necessarily aspire for the teamwork in an actual sports anime Hmm. So, so it's like a self-insert almost? It's like a self-insert, but also because sports anime as a whole derives a lot of influence from shonen anime, like specifically fantasy shonen anime, where they get like a lot of power-ups and stuff like that. Right. So that bleeds into it, and people who are used to seeing that similar format in a shonen anime will come to a sports anime and be like, oh, it's basically the same thing, and they get hyped for it regardless, even though for us here, like on Girls Talk, for instance, we understand that there's a very firm distinction between a fantasy shounen powerhouse manga or anime as compared to an actual sports anime that re- that relies on teamwork. But for most people who watch sports anime, they don't see that distinction because there are also lots of other mangas and animes series that are more focused on solo sports so for instance like we talk about Yuri and ice right Yuri and ice is a solo sport yes um we also have stuff like bamboo blade which is a kendo anime series from like 2006 is also a solo sport we have lots of martial arts sports anime that are also solo sports and yet they don't get the same critical acclaim as a typical sports anime that has this team that are kind of like background characters and then you have the one solo mc that just carries everybody I guess in one way that I can think of maybe as to why they did it for basketball is basketball is famous for having like a star player, you know, the oh, one like Kobe? that, yeah, the one that sinks the most points, the one that's like famous for their slam dunks and stuff like that. So I can kind of see like why there is sort of that star player for each mm-hmm. team, but I just think they went overboard with it. Even the most yeah, star players. Did in real life, they make mistakes sometimes, you know? And in oh, fact, absolutely, their yeah. teams don't always win, for that matter. They might do great, but it is ultimately still a team effort. So, yeah. I actually, um, I, now that I realize, like, you never talked about how, how you felt about the anime itself like Isabel did. So, like, what did you think, even though, like, you think that's the answer as to why it was so popular, what did you personally think of it? I only watched one episode of Kuroko no Basket, so oh, I have nothing to comment. Okay. Like I said, I already don't like sports anime overall in general because I typically like more fantasy shonen. I'm not a big fan of teamwork type of sports anime regardless in the first place because, you know, you have Prince of Tennis, right? That was mm-hmm. from my childhood. So at the end of the day, I was kind of like, well, you know, it's really hype, but I don't really care much about it, so whatever. Okay, got it. Alrighty, so then I will end on an example of a trope that I did really like the usage of. And Agnes, I know you don't like this anime, so bear with me, but I am happy because I know that Isabel did enjoy this anime. But it is uh, from Dance, Dance, Dance Shirt. Is that Uh, that right? 
yes, that's that's right. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, Dance 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 Sure has uh, actually what I thought was interesting kind of has like two prodigies in a sense, but uh, in different kinds. And so one of them is Junpei, who is the main protagonist, and then another one is uh, Mori, who is the secondary antagonist, sort of the rival to the protagonist, but. Not really, because the uh, the anime, the way they set it up is they made it seem like they were rivals, but then at the same time, like, Mori is very traumatized and, you know, like, cowers when people try to touch him and stuff like that because of some pretty bad abuse growing up, and so uh, Junpei ends up being one of the only people that he actually trusts to, like, touch him, and actually he'll, like, hide behind Junpei because he knows Junpei will, like, stand up for him and stuff, so... Their rivalry isn't really normal or typical in my eyes either. But anyway, so what I'm saying is I thought it was interesting that Dance 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 Sure had two types of prodigies. One of them is Junpei, who is naturally talented in regards to interpreting art and interpreting music. And so which is an actual thing. And he really felt that connection with ballet. But the thing of Junpei's depiction of his prodigalness that I really liked is that he is still behind at the end of the day. Like, even when he's competing with other people who aren't as, like, musically talented as him, he still doesn't perform as well and still doesn't get as high points as others. And I know some people would argue and be like, oh, it's because, you know, so the older generation is so rigid and stuff like that. No, it's not the case at all. In fact, it reveals, like, all those, like, supposedly older, more rigid people actually see the talent in him and they acknowledge it as well it's more of the fact that he's missing so much of the basics due to quitting ballet at an early age thanks to his dad dying at an early age there's a lot of masculinity stuff involved in this story as well um he really missed out at a prime time to really sharpen his talent and utilize it to the best degree and so he, despite having all this talent is having to play catch up and I really really like that because this goes back to what I was saying about my critiques of the trope in the beginning is you can't just have talent and just be good at it and like train quickly and catch up to people just like that. Junpei is training 10 times harder than other people because he has to catch up on the basics and even then he still falters compared to them. And that is perfectly normal and perfectly realistic and I love the fact that the anime portrays that it doesn't make him any less of a badass or any less of a prodigy for that matter it's just that's the unfortunate fact is when you don't spend the time and effort to properly train what you are naturally good at you are going to fall behind like everyone else because you are human and we see Junpei struggles with that reconciliation with the fact that he missed out on essentially what he could have been like you know, a masterful a ballet dancer at that age already. And, you know, accepting the fact that he has to move forward with that reality. And so I really, really appreciated that usage for the trope. And I also want to quickly interject too, as somebody who is continuing to do sport, if you take a hiatus or if you ever like don't do the sport for a very long time, self-training by yourself doesn't mean shit. It absolutely doesn't mean shit. You will go to the dojo, you will go back to the dance studio, you will go back on the field. And if you tell your coach that you self-train for 15 plus years, because I know a guy who did that, he's like in his 40s, he's got kids, he self-trained by himself for like 15 years. The moment he stepped out onto the floor for a training camp, 
the sensei immediately called him out. You're like, yeah, you're doing this wrong. You don't have the correct stance. Your body weight is not shifted right. You're doing everything wrong. You've lost your basics. So for people who think that, oh, you know, Junpei could have caught up. He could have been the prodigy. No, Junpei lost a lot of knowledge, especially for ballet too, because ballet is extra, extra rigorous. And that's coming from somebody who did actually train for ballet for several years before she quit because it was not her type of sport at the end of the day. It is a very hard sport. And I still acknowledge people who do ballet because that thing is extraordinarily taxing and pulls so many different muscles that you weren't even aware that you had in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So that is one element that, you know, Agnes is backed up with real life, uh, with real life that I think the story did a good job integrating. I also like the fact that they included two types of prodigies because Mori is also in many ways a prodigal ballet dancer. He is just impeccable in regards to, uh, what's the right word? Standards? No, uh, that's not the right word. He is expectations in, uh, or ex, uh, gosh, um, guidelines. That's not right. Uh, he is just impeccable at the technical aspects. That's what it is. Um, he is impeccable at, te- at technical aspects, and it actually comes very easy to him to reach those uh, technical goals, per se. And in many ways, he is a prodigy in that sense. But he also lacks true passion when he dances and once again it's unfortunately because his ballet is very largely tied to a lot of his trauma in the past as well so it's hard for him while he's so naturally good at reaching perfection when it comes to dancing the right moves the right steps and to the right music he is it's almost like he's following through with something and at the end of the day, you do also need love and passion for something when it comes to these when it comes to these sort of things to really pull you through into the masterpiece sort of element that he is also missing himself. And so I and so I really like that as well because there are also people in real life who genuinely are good at something. It's very easy for them to learn and catch up and stuff, but they don't have any passion for it. So at the end of the day, what their results are is it can feel a little empty and it can feel a little soulless in that sense even though objectively you look at it and you're like it's perfect and so um and so Maury in many ways uh, encompasses that as well obviously it's wrong to say he doesn't have passion for it he does it's just having to parse through that with like the trauma of ballet related to his past has made it very difficult for him and that's sort of his character arc is learning to parse through that and realize that he does actually love ballet and it isn't just like a curse or a necessity for him but but like it's a different type of prodigy that's on the opposite end of Junpei. And I think it works really well to show as to why they complement each other so much so well and why they support each other so well once they got past their initial glitch of, you know, having fighting against each other and stuff. So that is my trope dissection for one that I thought was an excellent usage of the prodigal trope, and I just can't praise it enough. So, uh, Isabel, I know you enjoyed this anime with me, uh, and so I wanted to hear your thoughts on that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the anime, um, especially the first few episodes, just because Ju- when Junpei starts out, he's kind of, like you said, he uh, is practicing martial arts uh jeet kune do in particular which is bruce lee's sport which i thought was funny because bruce lee at some point actually did uh cha-cha dancing mm. 
people don't oh, that's really, fun. people don't really know about. He even won a competition for it in Hong Kong. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> Man of multiple talents here. Yeah, he's just Bruce Lee's like kind of like that you know masculine figure, but to know that he actually did cha cha dancing and pursued like a passion outside of martial arts and dancing's totally different. Although you know maybe he would be better at the footwork or things like that, but still it's different. And not not only that to you know pursue a competition based off that. I thought Junpei's story, I was like, oh, God, there's a little bit of parallels in this. Um, just him taking that route, but then also doesn't want to be seen as um, effeminate. And then so he moving into ballet and just him carrying out his passion, I feel like is was just interesting uh, for me to see. And I really like that he had that passion for it still within him. And then also just the two, uh, my favorite scenes between him and Mori are definitely the ones where they just keep going back and forth and dancing with each other and saying like, I know you can do this or something, especially yes. with mm-hmm. Mori, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just him pushing him on and then Mori just kind of getting annoyed and pushing Junpei on and Junpei goes into this whole thing for himself, just trying to just expressing all his emotions because he, that's what he really is to me when he does the ballets, him expressing everything and in a sense just complimenting Mori for what he doesn't have but also drawing out the emotions that he does have that are kind of you know opposite of what Junpei might have but is mm-hmm. also showing that he can be that type of expressive ballet dancer is what it is yeah exactly and also if I think we do have a trope dissection for this in the future but I it's like you said I also enjoyed their rivalry and their relationship so much that it's like very shonen but at the same time I think mm-hmm. is also very unique in its own flavor that I liked that. So I would have probably picked it, pick it in the future episodes as well, unless another one just blows me off my feet. But yeah, I'm glad to hear you also enjoyed it. I know, Agnes, that you didn't really like the anime. So but do you do you, I guess, agree with where I'm coming at in regards to the usage of the trope and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I read your Facebook posts all about the dead 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 here, so I'm very well aware of the two foils acting as a way to complement each other and like mature the storyline far from what a typical sports anime would be. So I acknowledge that Dead Sensor did a really good job with that. I just didn't like the fact that, you know, they they throw out a couple ballet moves and then somehow a character's like, oh my gosh, I recognize this from XYZ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you and saying I'm like, that. You, you could not see that from anywhere, from any angle in that scene. And I think that's what kind of pissed me off because even though I don't actively pursue ballet, I still like to watch some stuff or or some of the more classical type of stuff like opera and things like that and being able to recognize some form of it inside a show is very rewarding for somebody who has practiced that or done that or and also for people who are like watching Yuri on Ice a lot of ice skaters even people who practice at amateur uh, people who are amateurs at ice skating they're like oh my gosh I know that jump you know it's like an, an infamous like 360 loop or whatever and they're just like super impressed by it and that's I think is the more rewarding part about sports anime but dance dance kind of set the bar a little bit too low for me for that and i'm like yeah okay <laughs> maybe, maybe another time maybe another time okay got it uh all right well in that case that is my section of the trope dissection so i'm gonna go ahead and hand the baton to you now isabel i'm really curious to hear you know what you think of this trope as a whole and then you know an example of a bad case for it and a good case for it Isabel is our supreme overlord for sports anime. Without her, 
I know, yeah. I haven't been watching a lot of sports anime recently, so I feel bad. Although, I am watching Blue Lock, so there's that. Oh, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it. <laughs> don't don't feel bad, Isabel, because this is this is where your expertise comes into the two of us are kind of like eh on sports anime, you know, so this actually helps quite a bit. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I always like watching sports, although I I do agree the formula kind of gets boring sometimes. It feels like a sludge to get through. Um so I'm always promising myself, these characters will get better, we'll see some good fights, <laughs> you know. Yeah, spirit and stuff like that. Um, uh, but yeah, over, you'll see that the Prodigy trope used a lot in anime. and But actually, I feel like the in sports in particular, there's a lot more of kind of like the newbie. Um, yeah, the newbie learning more or something, um, that kind of character i feel like that's more prominent in sports series but there's definitely the prodigies uh overall i'm i don't really have an opinion i feel like i can go either way on it, it i i either really like the character or i don't like the character um and then i'll probably still end up watching it if mostly for the sport and then also everything regarding the anime itself um but yeah if i feel that kind of like the prodigies maybe have superpowers or things like that that can't be explained as much then that's when i i probably won't enjoy it as much anymore so that's kind of like my thoughts one uh and then i feel like the example for have the for the kind of like the bad prodigy type or the one i don't like but then i like the anime is probably for a sport it's free i think ah, uh, yeah. okay <laughs> classic free mm -hmm. it makes an appearance again <laughs> I, I I like Haru as a character. He's the main character, and he's basically framed as a prodigy because he's really good at swimming. But there's just like no explanation for it. Like yes, he is talented, but I feel like there's no challenges for him throughout the series. I feel like whenever Haru wants to manifest something, whether it's making friends or making connections again or having his team like win the competition, it it kind of just happens. Um, like I never really see him put too much, uh, practice into it or training hard or even encouraging his teammates that much. And it may have to do with his personality because he's, uh, more intro introverted and needs like someone like Makoto to kind of hype him up and make him do things or even Rin as a rival. But I even feel that Haru and Rin aren't really good rivals to begin with. Oh, okay. Ooh, okay. <laughs> what makes you say that? Because I like they're they are friends, so like I feel like Haru always has a soft spot for him in the same way that he does for Haru as well. Like I wish they hated each other's guts more. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. So everything you free is just too nice and pretty. I feel like, uh, which is why probably the reason why I watch it only. Um, but yeah, that I wish they had more kind of like... You're here for the very toned and surprisingly accurate muscles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm basically Rin's sister yeah, who just gasps about all the muscles that she sees everywhere. Yeah, I, I just feel like Haru doesn't grow throughout the series. If anything, it, I've, I've watched almost all the seasons and I feel like we learn more about his childhood and other characters that he's with, or basically his influence over them, you know, just based on his, the way that he is, just, just saying like things like, you know, I just want to swim free, or I just want to do freestyle. 
and then um yeah and then other characters are just enamored by that or they just want to interact with them so i always have those question marks in my head about how haru actually influences these people and grows as a person um i mean he does grows a little bit but in terms of the sport and everything i feel like he really doesn't but yeah those are my thoughts on haru overall like what did you guys think about him and free overall who wants to go first <laughs> i don't know Isabel. i'm kind of like you i'm a simple woman who likes simple things so the animation was just nice <laughs> oh wow <laughs> the muscles were very nice too chef's kiss <laughs> Are you, do you enjoy M- Makoto's back muscles when he stretches? Hell yeah! <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> Whoever says that they did it is a fool. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're having Agnes fangirl right now. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm allowed to fangirl, yes? You know, you <laughs> no. are absolutely, we support you for it. <laughs> yeah, so I think you kind of cover all of my issues I had with Free. Actually, you kind of helped figure out something for me because... I also didn't click with uh, Free and not because I didn't enjoy the men. They do look very nice. But with that being said, that I, I actually do swim. And as a kid, like a swimming was my sport. So example of another sports anime that I tried that, that I really thought I would like simply because I really connect with the sports and ultimately not going anywhere with it. And it's exactly as you said, is that he doesn't really seem to grow like, yes, he does ish but not really because he doesn't really need to he's just so like talented from the get-go and everyone around him is just attracted to him because of that talent and at a certain point that just becomes boring you know so I completely understand what you mean by what you said your issues are with him as an example of that trope and if anything I actually when I finished Freeze like I first two seasons or something like that I I stopped watching it and a large part of it was because I'm like something about it isn't clicking with me and I couldn't figure out why and you sort of just defined what it is as to why it didn't click with me so I think you covered all the bases in that regard <laughs> yeah definitely um but yeah free I think yeah you just have to take it as more kind of like a sports anime but not a, like a competitive sports anime maybe more about friendship and things like that with swimming so yeah Okay, so that is an example of a trope that you didn't like. So what is a sports anime or sports or art anime example of a trope for this prodigy uh, protagonist that you did like? Yeah, the one I, I did like, um, I similar to Dance Dance Dancer, uh, there's a similar type of uh, two people uh, kind of being opposites of each other in ping pong, the animation. Uh, uh, you have talked about okay. it before, yeah. yeah. I did talk about that one before, and it's mostly between Smile and Peko. And Peko in here in the in the series is the prodigy. He's textbook prodigy because he, as a young kid, elementary school, he is so good at table tennis or ping pong that he beats all the adults. Wow, I didn't know he even beat the adults. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he goes to the club to go Pele and the adults are basically no match for him, which basically feeds into his kind of ego and arrogance. So up until middle school, high schoolish, you know, he's beaten all the opponents and he's had no trouble. Um, whereas Smile, his friend, you know, he just likes playing with Peko, um, but then um, he's been working hard as well. 
Um, but then Peko doesn't practice, right? So I think that that really describes some talents or prodigies that we see in real life where they don't practice, they get lazy because they're just so good at it. There's no one to compete with them. And in this case, when Peko meets someone who actually shuts him down, he just totally goes off the rails. He actually even quits ping pong because he's just so angry and mad that, you know, he actually lost. He doesn't try, he doesn't try or work hard towards that goal. So it's kind of interesting to see Smile kind of like training his way up and beating his opponents while Peko is kind of out doing other things like he picks up smoking or he just lets his hair grow out and things like that. At one point, I just thought he just looked like a hobo or something. <laughs> and, you know, he still likes ping pong. You know, he tries to come back a little bit, plays a little bit here and there, but, you know, his heart's just not in it. And um, and then him after that, kind of like seeing Smile go through everything, kind of having that realization hit him. And then him like finally changing, especially like towards the end. Uh, I thought that was a great example of what actually happens, you know, hard work versus, um, you know, natural talent in something that even if you are talented, to some extent, you still have to work hard at it. And um, yeah, that's what he does. And he actually, surprisingly, he goes on to actually compete in uh, world championships after that because he continue, because he's talented. He's actually working at it. And he actually does like the sport to some extent. So just kind of him having that whole growth uh, throughout the series uh, was very rewarding to watch. And I think that it, it was a good example of what a prodigy can do versus someone who's working hard. And honestly, Smile could have gone to world championships as well. But I think for him, the most important part was just trying to encourage kind of Petko on and having a really good battle between the two of them in in the sport that they both liked so yeah that's kind of like the example a good example of prodigy i feel like um and it's also very it felt also felt like a real life type of example that i could see happening to anyone or any athlete really um in our world here you've talked about ping pong the animation a lot like you've really really connected with that anime huh (laughs) Yeah, I just, it's like not only a story about the, I, I don't like ping pong that much as a, a sport, honestly, probably also because I'm pretty bad at it. I probably get <laughs> one shot across the table and then I'm pretty much done. It's the beginning shot where you go, what shot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I like, I don't even know how to hold a paddle correctly or things like that. And uh, ping pong animation didn't teach me that, if anything, but yeah. <laughs> It definitely taught me more about the people. I think that's what pe- why people like the show so much is because they connect with the people and that there's other characters as well who have their own kind of, uh, you know, growth arcs. Yeah, that, and that's the reason why I really connect with this. So I, re- I really like that show. Uh, out of curiosity, were there any other show of prodigies, like other characters that were considered prodigies in that show? Or was it just that one? Uh, do you mean... Uh- Wait, other sports anime or do you mean like no 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 i meant in ping pong sorry oh okay uh i think the other one the other two are actually like kind of the more i, I guess antagonists they're kind of okay. i would say more hard workers in a sense um they're definitely talented but then they but yeah not to the extent extent that uh Peckle was i feel like so it's a little different for them um and they had their own problems to deal with so it's a little di- so it wasn't exactly the same. So I don't think they were exactly prodigies. Okay, so it really was only uh, Pekko. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, Pekko. P-E-C-O. Yep. 
Petco. It's hard because I keep thinking of Petco. So. Yeah. <laughs> Petco. Okay, so it really was only him that was the prodigy. Okay, yeah, no, that is really interesting. I still haven't watched Ping Pong the animation yet. I know that it is incredible. No, wait, I did a long time ago. Yes, 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 yes. I did, I did, I did. But uh, was it? Was it just because I think it was the art? Yeah, I mainly remember it for mm-hmm. the art. Sorry about that. I think the art just wasn't the typical sort of style style that I was used to. So that kind of distracted me the whole time. But I have seen it. I, I just remembered it now. I, I have memory issues as it is. So moving on for me. <laughs> Agnes, did you ever watch Ping Pong the animation? Especially after Isabel has, you know, talked about it quite a bit. And I know it is very much a classic in uh, the anime that has come out since then. So, uh, you know, out of curiosity, have you seen it yet? No, I still haven't seen Ping Pong the animation, actually. That makes now two of the many shows that Isabel's talked about that I still need to watch. Link, click, and Ping Pong the animation. What about Bob Cycle? <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a vicious cycle of me not being able to find time to sit down and watch it. But I'll get there. Maybe in ten years, we'll see. In ten years, we check back in ten years. We're like so, so has Agnes seen these anime? Yeah. That's my deadline. Ten years, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think uh, Ping Pong the Animation is very interesting and fascinating. It's, I I do, so I, I'm kind of like, you know, critiquing myself for this. The style kind of got to me and like distracted me from the story. But, you know, back then, I think I just liked the sort of standard art style. I didn't really appreciate it when anime decides to branch out and be different and unique but I certainly appreciate it now ever since I started working for anime trending so I highly suggest people to watch it I know some of our listeners have watched it because of our episodes and have told us like you know they it was excellent after they decided to watch it since we mentioned it so it's obviously a very well acclaimed anime and you know now Isabel has brought up the fact that it is actually an example of a good trope for trope usage in regards to the prodigy protagonist in sports and art anime so just another just another sort of box to check in regards to how good it actually is was there anything else you wanted to talk about in particular to this trope with ping pong the animation uh yeah no not really i was trying to think of other prodigies because i know we highlighted mostly males in this podcast oh you wanted to see if you can think of a female yeah (laughs) honestly i could only think of the one from chihaya furu uh, yeah probably herself and then um who's who's that this the snow queen as well i always think of hers yeah shinobu i think was the other one i wanted to highlight but i didn't know too much about her in a sense um but i just i think that i think she's a prodigy as well i agree i agree yeah she is a prodigy i ironically don't like i i don't dislike it but i don't particularly like the prodigy aspect in chihaya furu either i don't know it's a little off for me that's <laughs> a chihaya furu i love but specifically that trope i'm kind of like lukewarm about in its usage and i don't know why i'll need to ponder on that <laughs> but uh did you think of any other female no, characters chihaya furu was the only one i had actually come up with and um in Dance 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 New York, maybe the other girl, the Oikawa, uh, the one that Junpei dances with and all the sparkles come out, I thought. Oh, yes, you're right. She is a prodigy. That's right. Yeah, so I thought she was in, She was very funny in that she matched Junpei's energy. At, at that point, I, I was shipping those two more than the other two. Me right? too! Oh. Me too! <laughs> 
do. Uh, I mean, this is a bit of spoilers, but I, I don't think we're going to get a second season, to be completely honest with you guys. Um, so actually, that is his end game. He, uh, she, he actually does end up with her. <laughs> no way. Okay, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, another thing I liked about Dance and Disher, uh, nothing to do with the trope really quickly, but I did like the romance of how realistic it is. Junpei actually went through... Uh, two different girlfriends before he ended up together with uh, Nanami, I think is her name. And uh, I got to look it up. Something like Nanami. Uh, but basically, he uh, obviously the thing with Miyako didn't work out. And then he got together with another girl in high school. And it just ultimately didn't work out as well. Natsuki, Natsuki, that's her name. And then um, sometime later, he and Natsuki like ran into each other again and reconnected and then realized that, you know, seems like they have some chemistry and stuff. So anyway, he's uh, she's his end girl. So it's great. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm so ha- happy to hear that. I, I just didn't know. It could have gone both ways. Like if they had a season two, I feel like. So that mm-hmm. would have been interesting. Um, but yeah, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did you guys have any other characters you wanted to highlight? for this trope at all mm-hmm. nope i'm good what about you agnes no i'm good on my end too Alrighty then so i think that wraps up the episode for today so thank you everyone for listening i hope you guys had a fun time listening to us dissect this trope give you guys examples of what we thought were good examples of good and bad usage of it and if you disagree with us you know that's perfectly fine and share some of Uh, the examples of good and bad that you guys think uh, has stood out to you all who are listening as well. So with that being said, we will be back next week with another fun topic. So I hope you'll still be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.